You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Great to see everybody. I've got a couple thoughts as we get started here this morning. Um, two of our couples uh, had babies this week, so that's really exciting. Tony and Tatiana Baird had baby Betty Anna. Betty Anna, did I get that right? Cool. Uh, eight pounds, eight ounces. Healthy. Yep, healthy. And um, Leonardo, the Matoses, Leonardo and Terranea, also had a baby girl. But I didn't get the name. Does it, did anybody get the name on the Matoses little girl? Camila? Camila. Camila. Cool, that's great. Okay. Uh, so we're excited about that. That's, um, that's just great. We want you guys also praying. Um, next week, the Long Beach region um, is, gonna, is planting a small church in downtown Long Beach. And we're just really excited about that. That's Holy Spirit stuff. That's just Holy Spirit stuff. We're moving forward. Um, our posture is a little more aggressive, healthier. What needs and what communities can we get back out into evangelistically? And this is the first kind of thing we've done like that as um, the coastal region for a number of years. So be praying about that and that our group also is going to be able to do something similar maybe this summer. Amen? Maybe this summer. More, more to come later. Today we are beginning a series, a wellness series. And I've never done a wellness series before. We as a church, I can't ever remember us talking a lot about wellness. I think as a young man, wellness... What's my idea of wellness? Wellness was getting the, the, the whole combination at Jack in the Box. I got everything. I got everything. Mind, body, spirit. I got a little bit of everything. I got milkshake, supersize. I got fries. I got um, double something. It's just great. So I didn't grow up with this. This was very much a learned thing for me. And um, we are going to do a four-part series. Wow, that is pretty good. So we're going to start a four-part series. Today is part one. We're going to do the stand. Ken's going to uh, preach next week on temple as a body. And following Chaz is going to do a sermon on habits, healthy habits, how habits affect our spirituality. Now... We're a church, so we want you to know that wellness needs to be a real ethic or value for the Christian. I believe wellness should be a real value or ethic for the Christian. But we're not experts in this. I don't think we as a church are going to say anything dogmatic. You have to look a certain way you got to save a certain amount of money. This makes you healthy. This doesn't make you healthy. We're not experts in that. We're just a church. What we want to do, though, is put upon you or challenge you to take responsibility for your wellness, for your health. If that means going to a gym or a financial planner or an addiction thing or a doctor or whatever expert you need, we want to really support you. I think a, a, a healthy, a real Christian faith values, wellness, and or health. 
We believe that there's a strong relationship between spirituality and health. And I'll talk a little bit more, more about that later. There's a strong relationship between spirituality and health. We want you to be aggressive. We want you to make a stand. Health, wellness is not a passive thing. It takes real effort. It takes real decision making. It takes a lot of prayer and wrestling with God. It takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of wrestling with yourself. Wellness is hard. Breaking, making good decisions and breaking bad habits, I do think, is great spiritual work for all of us. And we all have some real things that we need to change to be more healthy. I don't like, it's the beginning of the year, and I don't know if you're into resolutions. I haven't made, res, I haven't made a New Year's resolution in many years. Some of us do, some of us don't. I'm just not a big believer in it. I just think the whole Christian experience... It's about making decisions to change and grow. Repenting of sin, getting away from self, becoming more spiritual, developing character. That's not just something we do in January to fail in in February. But you take that really serious. I think that's a big deal. But I do think it is about our spirit. Um, this is a goofy thing. Jesus, uh, Jay-Z says in um, Empire State of Mind, in Empire State of Mind, before I get to the Bible, right? We should get into some Jay-Z. He says Jesus can't save you. And that life begins when the church ends. Jesus can't save you. I want you to think about that. Is that true? Do you think that's true? I don't either. I want to challenge that idea. I want us all to challenge that idea. Jesus, I think, is the only thing that saves us. And I think a healthy church, a healthy community gives us the support we need to be successful in life and as Christians. Amen to that? Amen to that. I want to read, um, I want to read you something. This is called The Life-Saving Station. And this is about a little bit about us collectively before we get into health of the individual, collectively as a church. The Life-Saving Station, originally written by Howard Kleinbell on a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occurred, there was once a crude life-saving station. The building wasn't much more than a small hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and with no thought of themselves, went out night and day tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station, so much so that it became famous for its rescue efforts. Some of those who were saved and various others in their surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give their time and money for the support of its work. New boats were purchased and donated to the station and crews were trained to improve the rescue operations of the station. As the little life-saving station grew, some of the members were unhappy that the building itself was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided for those who were rescued from the sea. So the members raised funds for the station and replaced the emergency cots with beds and placed better furniture in an enlarged building. Soon the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. They decorated it beautifully and furnished it so exquisitely that it became a sort of club. The Life Saving Station's logo still prevailed on the wall above the fireplace and its name is still used to raise funds. 
but fewer members were now interested in going out to sea on life-saving missions. They even hired lifeboat crews to go do the work that they used to do themselves. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in a a boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. These people were dirty and sick. They spoke in different languages. The beautiful club was thrown into chaos. The property committee immediately had a shower built outside the club, uh, outside the club building, with an attached closet filled of clean clothes, so the victims of the shipwrecks could be cleaned up and dressed properly before coming inside. At the next club meeting, there was a split in the membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because it was unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social structure of the club. And it was hard. Some members insisted that the life-saving operations were the primary reason for them being there and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. The latter were finally voted the latter were finally voted down and were told that if they wanted to save lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could start their own life-saving station further down the coast. And that's what they did. As the years went by, a new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old one. It evolved into a club and later into another life-saving station and then another one was founded. History continues to repeat itself, and if you visit that seacoast today, You'll find a number of exclusive clubs along its shores. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters. But sadly, most of the people simply drown. It really struck me this week. I read that on Monday. It's really been with me. About God his mission, what he wanted to do with us, healing us and putting us back together, hoping that the Christian would be transformed, and love giving back to a really hurting world. And like the life-saving station, I think most of us, many of us, have experienced times like that in our life. But then most of us also have experienced these times where we're kind of bickering with each other and we're arguing about what the church is supposed to look like and sound like and smell like. And what the, what, when we're out there trying to work with these people, and they all got to do this, and then we got all of our hoops that they got to do, and I don't want to water down the gospel, but we use a lot of that stuff as excuses. I think we make a lot of excuses. And I think if we're going to be a healthy church, which is a community of shared faith that has a purpose, of rescuing a really dark place. And we've got to remember who's calling us and what we're called to. I don't know if you followed the news this week. Most of us have. There's a lot in the news. It's hard to get um, away from a lot of the political screaming that's happening in the news. 
But if you follow the, the story of the gymnastics doctor, that was a tragedy. The doctor for USA Olympics women's team has been, had been molesting girls on the team, over a hundred of them, for over 20 years. And one case in particular really struck me. She was one of the, one of the first girls. And she told her parents and she told somebody else, one of the other coaches, what had happened to her. And the doctor denied it and USA Olympics sort of denied it and put it down. And after about a six-month period, this 14-year-old was made to apologize for her accusation. A year or two later, she was very depressed, developed a lot of anxiety disorders, quits gymnastics before she's 16, really struggles through high school. By the time she's 18, the parents divorce. And when the story came out, the father had been haunted by this for years, that he didn't believe his daughter, that he didn't protect his daughter. And the father this year killed himself. hurting world. It's a dark world. It's ugly out there. The Christian has to remember that we have a purpose, that we have a mission, that these stories are real, that it's individuals and it's systemically. That's a systemic sin. And we've got to, we're the ones that are supposed to call light to a dark world. We're the ones that are supposed to protect. We're the ones that are supposed to stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. We have to do that for each other, and we have to do that for those in the world. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. So, back to us as individuals. Jesus in John 4 comes across a man that's been at this pool waiting to get healed for a number of years. Many of us have been sick for a number of years. Maybe sick emotionally, maybe sick physically, maybe sick spiritually. And there's something about this man, and we all, you know, sort of scratch our heads. I always put a question mark in my Bible when I... Jesus is, comes up to him, and he doesn't just heal him, right? He asks him, you guys know this, do you want to be healed? Many of us aren't healed. But we're not healed because we don't want to be healed. There's something about being sick. There's something about feeling victimized. There's something about um, the excuse that it gives us. There's something about the fear of being healthy. And then what would I... I don't know. Everybody's, everybody's, everybody's different in this. But Jesus's, I think, first challenge and question to us on the cusp and the beginning of a wellness thing is, do you really want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Or are you just here to be at church so that you checked your box and you won't get called and or challenged later or feel guilty or something like that? That's not real wellness. That's not real wellness. Do you really want to get well? Do you really want to deal with your anger? Do you really want to deal with your depression? Do you really want to deal with your anxiety? Do you really want to deal with your finances? Do you really want to deal with your marriage? Do you really want to deal with school? Do you really want to deal with a teacher? Do you really want to deal with a boss? Do you really want to deal with your career? Do you really want to get well? It takes real work. 
takes real work. And again, we're just a church, so we're not going to give you a lot of recipes for here's how you go get healthy. I think experts and or other people are really good at that. I think we got to be people that are supporting go get healthy, be healthy. That's really important. That's a big deal. Jesus died for us. He valued us, valued us enough to give us his life. We should care then about the life that's left over. Amen. I think that's right. I did Life Saving Station Wellness. Amen. I'm going backwards. Sorry. Look at me. I'm not well with the clicker. Come on, clicker. Come on, clicker. I'm going to read this in Mark chapter 7. Tremendous passage that I always think about when I think about wellness. Because I think when we talk about wellness and we talk about getting healthy, we talk about getting better as an individual, it's again hard not to make excuses and it's hard not to blame. Blame's so easy. Who do you blame for your problems? Yeah, we think about parents. We think about finances. God, if I had more money, I'd be so much happier and be easier. Health. Right? We all, you know, mostly what we're going to do today is what we did yesterday and before and before and before. And I'm not living a great life because of fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. And when you live like that, you don't really want to get healthy. But Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, I think this is important, so important not to be pointing the finger and blaming. Verse 17, when he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. And Jesus says, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, and uh, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Where does darkness come from? comes inside of us. And before we blame and make excuses, we have to own what's going on inside of us. Nobody gets healthy without first sort of owning what's going on inside of them. You know, if you're not, if you're not fill in the blank, where you need to be uh, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, there's something in us. There's always a darkness in us. We're not where we want to be in school. We're not, it, there's always something working inside of us that first needs to be overcome. And I think that's super powerful in change, in real transformation. We own, yeah, I'm lustful, and I'm angry, and I don't like being hungry, and I don't like my dad, or whatever it is. I know, that's... That's the real story. That's the honest truth. Until you get down to some real honest truth about stuff, then we don't change. And it's always their problem, and I'll get happy. We're holding our breath. I'll get happy if they change, if I win the lottery, if something miraculous sort of happens to me. And that's, for us that have been doing this for a while, we see that never really happens. Amen? Amen? One last thing before I get to um, sort of the real meat of my text here. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. 
I, I, I come back and reflect on this often. This is always very much alive in my mind. And it's how I organize a lot of my thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, Paul makes this statement. I think this is great. I think it's great when we're talking about <coughs> health, wellness, and change. For when he came into Macedonia, when we came to Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. That's a great passage. Everybody's tired. Paul was tired. Put in some hard days. We were harassed at every turn. I love how he says this. Conflicts on the outside and fears within. Now just pause for a minute and think about that. Right? Church over here, are my people here, give me an amen over here. Right? I knew I'd get one, Shirley. Thank you. Conflicts, right, Shirley? Conflicts, right? Conflicts. Who doesn't have conflict? Conflict. Uh, where are my people up here? Students, fears within. Can I get an amen? amen. Fears within. Name them. Know them. Everybody's got some fears within. Am I going to be... Am I going to get a major... Am I going to spend... $100,000 on education and then not get a job and then nobody's going to love me and I'm going to be a single social worker for the rest of my life? Right? I don't know. Fears within. Uh, you know, adults, marrieds, marrieds. Fears within. Is my wife, is my husband, do they really, you know, love me? There's not a married couple that's not had that thought at times. And that'll bring you to your knees. Fears within. Conflicts and fears. If you want something you never had, you have to do something you've never done. If you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. I was, when I was in Texas, I don't know what this is now. That, that, that many years, t uh, t uh, 13, 14, 14 years ago, um, I was over. I was over 250 pounds. I was over 250 pounds, and um, somebody started making fun of me. You know, geez, you're like a heavyweight. You're bigger. What's bigger than a heavyweight? I'm like, what? Come on, right? We're always sort of start in denial. I'm an athlete. Well, you're fat athlete. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm an athlete. Fat athlete. Okay, I got to get, okay, maybe they're right. I got I to work on this. I got to work on this. And um, I tried to cut out, I remember week one, I tried to cut out quesadillas. <laughs> and it was so hard. It's so hard. I love quesadillas. Man, just sort of unconscious. You get a good cheese. It's all melted. It's warm. You know, my Mexican mom. It's just like, it's like a hug from mom. <laughs> Rubbing my head. Quesadillas. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I, um, fine. Eat your meals. I don't really know a lot about it. Eat your meals and maybe cut out all those quesadillas. And, and that little bowl 
of late night ice cream. That's probably a killer. A little bowl. Of, but it's just a little bowl. It's just a little bowl. Got my little bowl. So nice. Little TV, 11 o'clock. Love it. I've worked so hard today. And then I've had five of those little bowls. I should probably stop doing that. I have to stop doing that. And I remember after the first week, and you know, I finally got on a scale. I'm like, where's a scale? I didn't even know. I've got to get on a scale. I'm like, hold my breath. This is going to be awesome. Week one, gain two pounds. What? <laughs> i got a bad metabolism. I gotta, I'm big boned. I don't know. I don't know. This is not good. This is not good. Okay, week two, week two. I gotta, I'm like on first name basis with all the guys at 7-Eleven. I got to stop going to 7-Eleven and getting the big gulps of Coke and, uh, you know, my favorite bag of chips. I do that, mm, right, every day. I do that every day. And, you know, I cut that out. And that was hard. I love that. 7-Eleven, that's just, I don't know, I just had a special relationship with 7-Eleven. It's not good. And I don't know, I sort, of, I sort of scrambled, you know, I lost a pound, I gained four, I lost two, I gained five. The first time I'm like back and forth on this thing, this is hard. And um, my friend sends me an email and he goes, congratulations, uh, it's Christmas. Hey, your, your Christmas present is in your email. What? Okay, thanks. And congratulations, you're in the LA Marathon this year. I called him up, I'm like, are you torturing me? Are you kidding? What are you talking about? Yeah, I signed us up. We've got to do this. We've been talking about this. We've got to do this. Oh, that's a terrible idea. My knee, right? My knees hurt on oh, this back. You know, running's not good for your back, and I got sort of a bad back, and, um, you know, it's probably not good for my head. Um, I think low blood sugar is not Don't you get low blood sugar if you run a lot? I didn't know anything about it. It's a long story. Um, I entered, I got some shoes, I found some shoes, uh, and I lost 40 pounds. All my back pain went away, my knees felt good, and um, just my whole life sort of changed. Because a lot of the training, the race was really, really fun. But a lot of this daily working your uncomfortable issues out with God became a real life changer for me. And it's sort of where I learned to kind of be quiet inside, and it became a real spiritual practice, this discipline. Great prayers, really nice and slow. Helps me organize my mind. I really struggle with anger. I really struggle with depression. I've got a lot of, you guys heard my story a week ago, I've got a lot of really bad self-destructive tendencies and addictive stuff in my personality and in my family history. And, and this really helps me manage that. This really helps me manage that. Just feel totally different when I'm done. A lot more balanced, a lot more at ease, a lot more solid. And I can go do my, you know, just early in the morning, it's a great prayer. And then I feel really ready to go do my day. Now, everybody can't do that. And that might not be your yoga. I know that's not going to work for everybody. But again, we're not here to preach this is how you do it. You just got to figure out how to make a big change in your life. But if you want something you never had, you got to do something you've never done. The Bible talks about demons in the Bible. The Bible talks about demons in the Bible? That's probably not a good sentence. And these demons do different things. In Luke 13, there's a demon that keeps a woman bent over. She can't walk. She's bent over. The Bible says it's a demon that, that did that to her. 
Uh, Jesus heals a blind man who it was blind because of a demon. He heals a mute person, a mute man, also supposedly because he had a certain demon or devil inside of him. We know Mark uh, six, the guy, Mark five, the guy that's uh, chained and cutting himself and living in the tombs. Uh, his name was Legion. He had many demons. But I want us to read this in Mark chapter Mark chapter nine. Turn with me to Mark chapter nine. And I want us to really think about this as we go forward. We talk about health. We talk about life. Verse fourteen. They came to the other disciples, and they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, he asked. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that robbed him of his speech. Here's a demon that's robbed a boy of his speech. He can't talk. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at the teeth, and becomes rigid. Looks like he's having a seizure. But they couldn't heal him. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, it's a good question, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. As Jesus had gone indoors, his disciple asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. This is one of, um, this is a healing episode in Jesus' ministry that is recorded also in Matthew and Mark. It's not in John, but it's in Matthew and Mark. We've got a few. Um, healings and or sermons from Jesus or miracles that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this is one of them. And there's slight variation in them. In Matthew's version, it's cool. In Matthew's version, uh, the father, it says the father runs up to him and kneels before Jesus. That's cool. I love that. In Luke's version, they had just sent out the 72, and one of the things that Jesus did was give them the power to heal diseases and cast out demons. So they were confused. The guys had some power. They had done some things. But this one, this one was tough. This one was different. And we've all experienced that before. I changed this. I changed that. Um, but, 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 but this sin, 
this obstacle, this character flaw, this life situation, well, this one's been around for a long time. I can't get it out. And I'm not sure exactly what is happening when we talk about these demons. I I really am not sure. But we all know there's a darkness inside of us. And we all know there's a darkness out there. And we all know that this darkness at times can be overwhelming, can fill us up, can fill up others, can overcome us. We started CR this week, and it's a great metaphor. Many of us that have struggled with addiction, we get it. It feels like a demon has overcome us. And you're out of control of your life. And so, as we close, I want you to think about making a stand against darkness. Demons? I'm not sure. But we all get it. There's evil, there's darkness, there's demonic forces. And we've got to make a stand and fight these things inside of us. Why do this? Just to make yourself a better person. No, I want you to think about this. Why do this? We know that change, in some, to some degree, is about decision and then willpower. All my students, right, we know that it's hard to study and we like to procrastinate. And if you use some willpower, maybe you can get it done, but it takes some willpower. Willpower is really not very effective in change. Most of our research shows just willpower alone doesn't, is just really not very good, very effective for change. You need something more. As a Christian, we have the greatest thing. In 1 Timothy 2.6, Paul says to Timothy that um, we're saved, that Jesus' death was a ransom for us. When Jesus saw our condition, he didn't just say, I'm going to give them a hug or a little touch. He says they're overcome and enslaved by darkness, by demons. The only thing that will free them is a full ransom. You need something bigger than you. And that's as big as it gets. And then I want you to remember 1 Peter 2, 24. It's that wound. It's by his wounds that you're healed. Again, not willpower. Willpower is good to start, but it's by his wounds that you're healed. Willpower alone doesn't really do deep spiritual transformation, but his wounds do. Until you feel connection to that, and you feel immersed in that, and that feels real and alive to you, then we don't make a lot of changes in our life. A couple thoughts for us. We just started small groups this week. And we would like our small group leaders to be thinking about these questions and asking these questions. We're going to put it on social media and or you can take a picture. What is it that makes you unhealthy? What is it that makes a marriage unhealthy? A family? A career? A body? What is it that makes you unhealthy? Identify something. Label it. I think this is important. Most of us have tried something. What have you tried? That's a good thing to talk to people about. I tried to lose weight. I tried to get over addiction. I tried to get over depression. I tried to get over anxiety. What have you tried? We're going to try something different. Who have you talked to? Change is always about us. It's rarely just about the individual alone. We need support. We need accountability. We need a friend. We need other people in our lives. Who do you talk to? Who do you want to go through this with? And what is it that you really want? Do you really want? 
want to be healthy. If you're visiting with us, we want you to be spiritually healthy. We want you to study the Bible. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to know the love of God, the transformative love of God. If you've been in the church a long time, change never ends. Pick something that you're working on. Make it a real spiritual exercise for yourself. The last thing we did is we've reorganized some of our groups, and we're just kind of here at the end, but I know we've got some new people, and we've got some people that aren't connected yet. Please stop at the table in the back. We've got a list with Angie and Tanya back there of where the groups are, and if you're not signed up for a group, please, we want you to be in our groups. They're a really special part, I think, of what we do as a church. Sign up for small group. God bless you. God bless the church. Amen to being healthy. You've just listened to the Westside Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.